0: Hey, Cornwall Church, happy Memorial Day weekend. As you know, this is a weekend when we stop and we pause and we remember and we honor those who made the ultimate sacrifice, not only for us, but for our country and ultimately for the world, and uh, to remember them and to thank them. And so I hope you're having a a great Memorial Day weekend. It's a a different one this year without the ski-to-sea parade and the the race and different things, uh, but it's still a great time for us to remember what those that have given their all their lives uh, for us and grateful for that I also want to say thank you to many of you who participated in the food drive Um, and I just want to say it was such a blast being able to greet a lot of you and while you couldn't see it because of my mask man I had an I had like this grin going from ear to ear so great to see you and thank you for participating with that one more issue that we really do need to talk about some of you are saying well why are we not in the building right now I mean after what President Trump said on Friday Can I just take a minute and address a few things for that? Um, I think it's important. As you know, on Friday, President Trump did make a declaration that houses of worship are essential, which is a good thing, and the Center for Disease Control is putting in together uh, implementing directives of how uh, gatherings can happen uh, to worship God. I also want you to remember that there are state and local regulations, directives as well. Now we have a reopening task force that has been uh, working feverishly and, and laboring and, and grateful for them, pray for them, as they are putting together all the details and all the, all the different intricacies of us coming back together so that we can have a, a sanitized and a, a safe environment where there's the proper physical distancing and uh, we're gonna err on the side of safety first. Now with that, as, as we continue on, We also have to manage our own expectations. Because of the guidelines about large gatherings, which we would fall into, when we come back together, it is going to be different, and it's going to take some adjustment for all of us. And I'm telling you, I, more than any of you, are ready for us to be back together. I I want it to to be like it was. We have to work through this slowly, slowly. Together patiently. Also, want to remind you that Washington State still is in Phase One, and as a church, as Cornwall Church, we have chosen to comply with that, out of love, and a desire for safety and the health of our community. So, with that, what you can do is know that we will continue to offer our services online, and so we want you to join on Saturday at five or on Sunday at nine and eleven. And to be a part of this and, and to participate in worship and in the word of God. I Also want you to know that as we go forward, we are committed to communicating to you what is being done. What, the, what our reopening task force is deciding. And we're going to communicate that on our weekend services. Every weekend, we'll let you know what's going on. We're going to be using our social uh, media platforms. We're going to be using our website. And we're also going to be sending out occasional emails. If you want to make sure you know what's going on, the best way right now is to make sure that we have your current email address. So if you'll click on that connection card right up there and give us your current email address, that's the best way uh, for us to stay in contact with you. in essence, to communicate with you, thus the name of the communication card. Don't just show up at church expecting that we're open. We will let you know when that happens and how that's going to happen. So finally, this is what I'm going to ask of you, Cornwall Church, and done in an excellent pastoral alliteration form, I want to give you three Ps that I'm asking you to be a part of. One is would you pray? Would you pray for our reopening task force. We have a monumental task ahead of us to work out all the details. Pray for that. Pray for our government leaders. Pray for our president. Pray for our governor. Pray for our mayors. And would you also be patient? Uh, For some of you, you would be here right now if we would let you. Would you be patient with us? Also, would you be patient with others who maybe are not quite as ready to go as you are And for those of you who are a little bit hesitant, would you be patient with those who are ready to just kind of storm the gates and go for it? And finally, would you participate? Would you participate in worshiping together with us? Would you participate in being in the word of God? Would you participate in being the hands and feet of Christ like Pastor Mike just shared with us? Participate in using this as an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. And together, we will continue to glorify him. All right, thank you so much for that. Thank you for your prayers, your patience, and your participation. Speaking of participation, let's get into this. We're continuing on in our series in the 23rd Psalm. And I hope that this has been as meaningful for you as it has for me. I tell you, I have been quoting Psalm 23 on a daily basis on multiple times. I mean, it has become my companion every single day. You now, one of the things that, that Doreen and I do every night as we're drifting off to sleep, um, I'll just say, the Lord is my shepherd. And then she responds with a second, you know, I, I shall not want. And then I'll say, you know, he makes me lie down. And we just kind of toggle back and forth, volley back and forth. And this is the last thing that we say to one another as we drift off to sleep. And there was a, a man um, by the last name of Davidson, W.T. Davidson. He said this, the meaning and helpfulness of this perfect little psalm can never be exhausted. And I, and I would have to agree with him. While we have been going verse by verse, it feels to me like we're just screaming through this. There's so much stuff that we haven't been able to cover. Last week I mentioned I could have spent four weeks on last week's verse, and the same would go for today as we look at this final verse out of Psalm 23, verse 6. I think we could spend weeks on this verse alone. We will not, but, but there's so much. We will never plumb the depths of this perfect little psalm, as Davison said. And so often this psalm is read for people in their final moments on their deathbed, and it brings great comfort. As I've mentioned before, this psalm, this most loved and and, and most known psalm, is read at almost every funeral and memorial, and, and those are good things. But these words that we're looking at are not just words, they're not just funeral words, but they're they're words of life. They're words for life. Now, granted, these words might be read to you when you're on your deathbed and they will bring comfort. And they might be read at your memorial service or your friends or your family's memorial services and they will bring comfort. But these words also are for life, for our life, for our life today and now. I was reminded of how much these are words of life as I was reading through a book by Morris Berquist. It's called David's Song. It's, it's a small little book on the 23rd Psalm. And in this book, he retells the story of a man whose life was literally changed by the words of Psalm 23. The man's name is Neville Tan. Neville Tan was born in the 40s in Singapore when Singapore was under Japanese occupation during World War II. And while it was not only a tumultuous time for their nation, his life was quite tumultuous. By the age of 13, he had been expelled and kicked out of school. At the age of 14, he joined gangs. And by the age of 17, Neville Tan was in prison on his first capital offense because of a gang murder. Now, over the next 10 years, he was in and out of prison. He had actually escaped from prison twice. um, And by the time he was in his early to mid-20s, he had gotten this nickname as Iron Man. Now this was long before Marvel Studios and Robert Downey Jr., but he was nicknamed Iron Man. He was this hardened criminal and even the iron bars couldn't keep him in. He also found himself on the top 10 most wanted criminals in in Singapore. And as, uh, as course of time would happen that they arrested him and he was imprisoned. And very often he was imprisoned in solitary confinement and he was in the, the Chengi uh, Maximum Security Prison. And while he was in there, he received a letter from his brother saying that their mother was dying. And her dying wish was that she could see her son Neville one more time. Well, he found his way to the warden's office and said, would you allow me to go home just for even five minutes? And the warden looked at him and said, how many times have you escaped from prison? And he said, only twice. <laughs> and the warden says, not a chance. And so his mother passed and her only wish was to see her son. Neville became so despondent, so discouraged, that he decided, since he was in this maximum prison, maximum security prison, he'd probably never get out. He was not able to be with his mother. He decided that he would take his own life. He determined how he would do it, and what day it would happen. And on that day, when he was going to take his own life, that night, as he was in his cell, a song from his childhood, came into his mind, and he couldn't remember the lyrics, he could remember the tune, but he remembered the very first line of the song, and the song that he sang as a little kid was, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he couldn't remember the rest of the song, he couldn't remember the lyrics at all. And so as he was preparing to kill himself, he thought, I'll smoke one more cigarette, and then I will die. And as he grabbed his cigarette, he realized, There were no matches, and then he remembered that he had hid some matches in the spine of a little book that someone had put in his cell, a Gideon's New Testament with Psalms in it. And as he went to get those matches, this book opened to the back, and he saw what he thought was a a typo, this word that didn't make any sense. He saw these letters, P-S-A-L-M. How do you even say that? And he said, this is a typo. But then when he turned the page, it was there again and again and again. And he stopped and he looked down and he saw these words. The Lord is my shepherd. And he thought, that's the song I was just thinking about. And he read through. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff They comfort me. And Neville at that time had not cried for over 15 years since he was 12 years old. And in his cell that night, he began to just weep. And he said, Shepherd, if that is true, Lord, if you are there, then I want you in my life. And it saved his life. As Burke was said in his book, the good shepherd led him to Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 led him to the good shepherd, saved his life. Now, as he went on, he got into the programs there in the prison, became part of the Bible study, actually finished his education and got a college education. And when he was released, the warden came to him and said, Neville, if you are what you say you are, there is hope for anybody And Neville got out of prison, he went to Bible school, he got married, had three children, became a pastor, and started the Asian Outreach Mission, helping those who had been in prison before. And as I read that story, I remember back to my childhood, when I was eight or nine years old, and I thought, I think Neville Tan came to our church so I called my mom and I said, was Neville Tan at our church when, we, when I was young? She said, yeah, absolutely. And I said, do you know, is, is, is he still, what's what still? She said, I think he's still alive. He'd obviously be in Singapore. So I went to work. And uh, the beauty of Facebook is that I found he had a Facebook uh, page. And so I messaged him and I introduced myself and said, I believe you knew my father, Gerald Marvel, and you stayed in our home in Vancouver. And I'm a minister now. and going through Psalm 23. I reread your story. And he, he messaged me back a couple days later and he says, oh, I remember your, your, your dad very well and I remember staying in his home in Vancouver and I'm glad that you're a, you're a pastor. And then he wrote these words. I'm now 80 and officially retired but continue to serve in building the lives of ex-prisoners like myself. Yes, the Lord is my shepherd for the past 50 over years. His rod and staff still comfort me. May he bless you and shepherd you as you serve him. Psalm 23 saved this man's life over 50, or as he would say, 50 over years ago. And Psalm 23 has sustained this man's life for 50 over years. And for however much longer he lives, it will and it will secure his life long after he dies. See, these are not just words for funerals. These are words for life. Say them with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still uh, still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup. Overflows, And that's where we left off last week. And this is where we pick up this week in verse six, the final verse where he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What an incredible way he finishes off this little Psalm. Now I've mentioned this a couple times in the series that I think that he was well along in years when he wrote this. We don't know this for sure. But as I think about it, as I've lived with these words, I don't think these are words that came from a 13, 14, 15 year old shepherd boy. I see them more as as words that have come from maybe a 70, 80 year old king. One who's experienced a lot of life. One who has a lot of stories. One who's learned a lot of lessons. One who bears a few scars. And maybe in his latter years, in the twilight of his life, he says, would someone take me back to that field? Where I watched over dad's flocks. Just I just want to go back and relive that. Or maybe he says, you know, I, I want to go back just to remember that cave in Engedi there when, when I was running for my life. Or, or could someone just take me back to the to the valley where where I where I conquered Goliath? And and maybe it's in one of those settings where as this introspective um, looking back over life, man writes these words. Of all the things, and as he's writing these words, as he's thinking about this, he comes to this this confidence, since then conclusion. It's confidence, and it's since then. Last week, we talked about if then, but I see this as David now, late in life, looking back, and he's saying, not if, but since. Since the Lord is my shepherd, since he always has been. Since he makes me lie down in green pastures. Since he has led me by still waters. Since he's always walked with me through the valley. He's on the right path. Since he has done these things. Since he's prepared a table before me. Since he's he's anointed my head with oil. Since then, he says, surely, surely. Not maybe, not possibly, not hopefully, not feasibly, not conceivably. Surely. Surely. Without a doubt, confidence. And what else he says in here is he uses this word shall, twice, shall. Now, I'll allow you uh, grammatical uh, virtuosos to haggle over the nuanced differences between will and shall. I don't know all that. What I do know is shall is used when you're speaking in the first person. And so here what we find again is David not talking about concepts. He's talking about a personal experience, that he says, I'm confident, I'm sure of this. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm sure that this shall happen to me. And I'm sure that this is where I shall dwell forever. So he says, surely, and then he goes on, and says, surely, goodness and mercy. And I don't think he's saying, well, it's been a pretty rough life, but in this final chapter, I'm hoping things turn around. I hope things improve. I hope that we get some goodness and mercy. No, I think this is a sense then, Since my whole life, I've experienced the goodness and the mercy of the shepherd. I've seen this. Not that life has always been easy. I mean, we've talked about some of the valleys that he's gone through. We know that there's been some hardships. We know there's some difficulties in every season of his life. But maybe as an old man, he says, yes, even in the hardships, I look back and I see how the good, merciful hand of God was at work in my life in every single one of those. When I was a shepherd boy... God's goodness and his mercy was so evident with me. When I was a young warrior, God's goodness and mercy just saw me through as a king. His goodness and mercy in my family, even though it's just racked with hardships and heartache and, and brokenness, I've seen God's good, goodness and mercy all through. Or maybe it's just one event. Maybe it was one thing that happened. One thing that was so significant where he experienced so much of God's goodness and mercy that it shaped his life. It was something he thought about every day of his life. And maybe that was in the deepest, darkest failure moment of his life. As a younger man, when he allowed his eyes to wander, and he allowed the fantasies to grow, and he abused his power, And he engaged in an illicit sexual relationship with a woman who was not his wife. And while most likely it was a one-sided deal, the consequences of that is that she became pregnant. And now not only has he allowed lust to overthrow his life, he's used his power to get what he wants, he's broken one of the commandments, he's committed adultery, and now there's a pregnant woman So he begins to work on a a plan of deception, of lying, breaking another commandment, to deceive. And that plan doesn't work. So now he conspires to have an innocent man murdered, a man who is faithful to his wife and loyal to his king. And he has Uriah's life taken. And now he takes this woman as his own wife, And even the hardship continues on as that child is born and just a few days later dies. And David thinks he's covered all of his bases until Nathan the prophet comes to him and points out exactly what he's done. And at that point, David is broken, filled with shame, filled with guilt, remorse, self-loathing. He cannot believe it. And in this low, low moment, because of his own choices, his own decisions, his own life, he pins those incredible words in Psalm 51. And they start this way. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Uh, According according to your great compassion, Would would you blot out my transgressions? Would you wash away my iniquities? Would you cleanse me from my sin? For I know my transgressions. My, my sins are, are always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and, and done what is evil in your sight. And so you're, you're proved right when you speak and you're justified when you judge. Surely I, I've been a sinner from birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And surely you desire truth in the inner parts and you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sin and and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart. And renew, restore, create in me this pure heart, oh God. And Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Grant me with a spirit to sustain me. In that lowest moment, he cries out, God, have mercy on me. And God was unbelievably good and merciful to him. And maybe because of that moment and that goodness and that mercy, he was never, ever the same. And he would say, surely, goodness and mercy goodness and mercy, that I've received since, well then. And maybe he quotes the other Psalms where, where it says in Psalm 89, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Or Psalm 136, Lord, you are good and your mercies endure forever. Or Psalm 145, when he writes, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. God is good. God is merciful. He has been in this world. He has been in my life. And I can say with confidence, surely goodness and mercy. Well, follow me. There was a man named F.B. Meyer and he said this, goodness to supply every want, mercy to forgive every sin, goodness to provide, mercy to pardon. Surely, goodness, he says, and mercy. And then he says, will follow me. Will follow me all the days of my life. And here's something, the cool little thing that I, I found in, in this uh, study is at the beginning, he talks about how the good shepherd leads him. The good shepherd's out in front. The good shepherd's kind of blazing the, tr- the path, the, the, the pioneering the way. He's out in front. He's leading. But during the valley, he's with me. He's right beside me. He's not out front now. He's right here with me in this dark, scary valley. And now at the end of this, he says, and now his goodness and his mercy is following me. It reminds me of what he writes in Psalm 139. You hem me in behind, and before you've laid your hand on me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. That the good shepherd walks ahead of him. The good shepherd walks with him. And the good shepherd now, is following with goodness and mercy. You know, I think sometimes we get this idea of if we're being followed, that's not a good thing. I mean, honestly, the last time you were driving and noticed that there was a police car following you, I know, you get nervous, you're sweating, you got your, your hands on the wheel, you're checking the mirror, you're checking the speed, you're, you know, all this, you're just nervous because they're following you. It, it seems like this, this negative thing. What we find here is that David takes something that we think is negative, and he turns it around for positive, almost like the, the good shepherd... Has two sheepdogs. And these sheepdogs, one of them's named goodness, and the other one's name is mercy. And these sheepdogs are back there kind of keeping the keeping the herd with the shepherd. That's the whole purpose. And that goodness and mercy are following us, but goodness and mercy, they pursue and they protect. They pursue and they protect. Uh, this idea that, that that goodness and mercy is pursuing us. I mean, we sing that song, uh, The Reckless Love of God. Oh, the overwhelming, um, I can't remember the words, overwhelming uh, something, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. This goodness and mercy of God is pursuing us, chasing us down when we stray to bring us back to the shepherd. Isn't that what God always does? Isn't that what he did with Adam and Eve when they had had sinned and were hiding and he comes pursuing them. Where are you? He comes pursuing not with with anger and condemnation. He comes pursuing with goodness and mercy. Jonah flees and gets on a boat and what does God do? He comes pursuing him with goodness and mercy. The thief on the cross who has denied God even exists has lived a life apart from, the, from man's law and God's law has been pursued his whole life, and in his dying breath, the goodness and mercy of God pursues him and catches up to him. Neville Tan, in a Singapore prison, having uh, decided to, to take his own life, is pursued by the goodness and the mercy of God. You, me, our lives, no matter what we do, the goodness and the mercy of God pursues us. In the 19th century, there was a man named Francis Thomas uh, Thompson uh, who wrote this, this poem. And it's in Old English, and, the, and it doesn't flow real well. But the poem is called The Hound of Heaven, uh, which is kind of a funny title, The Hound of Heaven. And the whole picture is as Francis has run away from God, God, like a hound, has relentlessly pursued him. I want to read you just a couple of verses. I won't read you the whole thing, but a couple of verses out of this. He says, I fled him, I ran, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter. Up vistas, hopes I sped and shot precipitated down titanic glooms of chasm fear from those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy. And then the final verse of the whole poem Fancies is lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand and come. Halt by me that footfall, is my gloom after all. Shade of his hand outstretched caressingly, our fondest, blindest, weakest. I am he whom thou seekest that the goodness and the mercy of God pursues us, seeks us, never tiring, relentless, unhurried, unperturbed, pursued. And not only does the goodness and mercy pursue us, but the goodness and mercy protects us. The goodness and mercy like to make sure that no predators do a sneak attack from the back Oh, come up from behind! You know this whole idea of, of of having someone follow you. I mean, maybe it's a good thing. When we were in Egypt this la- this a uh, few months ago, everywhere our bus went, there was a police uh, car right following us, just to protect us, to make sure everything was okay. You know, aviators, uh, fighter pilots especially, will use a, the idea of a clock when they start talking about uh, positions. You know, hey, MiG's coming in at 10 o'clock. Zero's at three o'clock. In World War I, fighter pilots came up with this phrase. I've got your six. I've got your six. The area where you're most vulnerable. The area where you can't protect yourself. The area that you can't see. I've got you covered. I've got your back. I've got your six. And surely goodness and mercy says, they've got your six. They've got your back. They're pursuing and they're protecting. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Remember, we said that we're not just looking at maybe something will change here in the future. He says, this is the way it's always been. All the days of my life. This is the present tense. Remember, the Lord is my shepherd. That means that this, this day. And there's this phrase out of Hebrews that says, as long as it is called today. Today. I love that. As long as it's called today, it's living in the now. It's living in this present tense. And what he's saying is, listen, you may not know what the future holds. You may not know. There might be some uncertainty. There is for a lot of us uncertainty about this future. But you can rest assured on this fact. You can know this for a fact, that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. I wonder if Jeremiah had read these words. I can't imagine that he hadn't. Because three years three hundred years, excuse me, three hundred years later, when he writes Lamentations, and there's everything is just falling apart, and he says, in all of his despair, yet this I call to mind. You know, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. As long as it is called today, they are new every morning. A couple of years ago. There was a movie that came out. It didn't do very well at the box office. It was called, I think it was called Christopher Robin. It was uh, when Christopher Robin grows up and he goes back to the 100-acre wood. In that movie, uh, Winnie the Pooh asks this question, "Uh, what day is today? Or what day is it, he says. And the response is, ah, Pooh, it's today. He says, ah, my favorite day. And David is coming along to say, no matter what's going on in my life, I know that On this day, goodness, I am sure of it, goodness and mercy will follow me. It always has. It always will. And as long as it's called today and the goodness and the mercy are following me, then he says it is the best day ever. This is the best day ever. Because the shepherd is with me and his goodness and his mercy is following me. Best day ever. And then he says, and, and, as if that weren't enough, he looks back over all that's happened. The Lord being the shepherd, the, the green pastures, the still waters, the right paths, the, the darkness, you know, the companionship in the valley and the table and the oil and the, the rod and the staff. He says, and, 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 bonus! He's like this TV commercial, but wait, there's more, as if that weren't enough. This is the bonus, he says. On top of all that, he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever when he talks about this this is a fulfillment of a deep longing for him if you're familiar with the life of David toward the end of his life he really wanted to build a temple for God and God says you're not the one to do that your son can and David says well I so want this to happen I'll raise all the money to make sure it does happen And he goes into this capital campaign and he raises all these millions of dollars so that his son Solomon can build the temple. But it was his desire. And not only that, but we read in Psalm 27 about this desire. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That's what I want. You know, I I thought this was interesting. Solomon, when asked, "What what is the one thing you want? He said, wisdom. And God blessed him with it. David says, here's the one thing I want. Just to dwell in the presence of my shepherd, my Lord, my king. Gaze at his beauty. To seek the one who sought me out. Who pursued me. Who has followed me with grace and mercy. And maybe, maybe David agrees with what the sons of Korah had written. This psalm where, where they have write, written, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And then look at this. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord." Almighty my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Say, listen, even the birds that are nesting in the rafters, we we think they're they're a nuisance. Maybe it's not just because that's a cool place to nest. Maybe because they want to be close to the Lord. Maybe they want to dwell in the house of the Lord. Maybe they want to be close to the altar of God. And then in verse 10, it says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And they say, listen, one, just one. Just give me one day, and I don't care. Put me on security duty. I'll just, I'll just stand at a door. I'll just watch, just, just let me do that. If I can have one day, and I don't even get to, if I can just stand at the door for one day, that's better than anything. David comes along with this deep longing and he says, listen, God's goodness and his mercy has followed me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell, not just visit, not just a three-day weekend. I get to move in and not just at the door and not in the garage and not in the outbuildings, in the house, David in the house. And it's not just any house. It's the house of the Lord, Yahweh, the Almighty God. Here's a cool little side note. What is the second word of Psalm 23? Now, what is the second to last word of Psalm 23? David bookends this psalm with Lord. It's all about the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Both ends of me says, Don't miss this. It's all about life with the Lord. And I get to dwell in his house, not just for one day, not just for the days of my life, but forever. Forever. I get the goodness and the mercy of God. I know for a fact it will follow me, it will pursue me, it will protect me every day of my life here on this earth. And when this life is over and these days are over, then the party gets started. Because then I'm in the house of the Lord forever. Best day ever. Every day is the best day ever. When you have life with the good shepherd. You know, my hope all along through this is that we wouldn't just learn about Psalm 23, but we would apply it to our lives and we would live it. And I asked uh, some friends of mine if they would share a little bit of their story and how this applies to them right now. As some of you know them, Chris and Katie Henry, uh, have been a part of our church. Katie, I knew her when she was in high school uh, years ago, I won't say how many. Uh, Chris, I've known for almost 20 years. They've been involved in our church. They met working in salt on the street. I I did their wedding several years ago. And then God called them to Belize. And that's where we give the shout out to Belize and those down at Hope Haven and Rafa and the group down there. And then just recently, they came back to the United States. And I've asked them to share a portion of their story. They sat down with me via Zoom this week. And I want you to listen to this story as well. Well, Chris and Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. And I appreciate uh, your willingness to share a part of your story um, as you know, because you've been with us over these last six weeks, we've been studying Psalm 23. And a few weeks ago, we talked specifically about um, journeying and walking through the valley of the shadow of death um, and just the, the valleys of life. Um, the fact that you guys are with us back in the United States uh, is because of a valley. Uh, why don't you share, many of us are aware of it, not everybody, share a little bit of the journey and what has brought you to this point.
1: Okay, Um, about a month ago, uh, we were in Belize, um, and we were working, uh, putting up a a quarantine building for COVID patients and feeding um, some of the people that were out of work um, in the community, and uh, I suddenly noticed some changes in my breast. And so I was able to go to a doctor and get an ultrasound and a mammogram, and it they said it's probably not cancer, but you probably should go get it looked at, get a biopsy to be safe. So uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to uh, get back to the United States to get that done. And uh, once we got here and got the biopsy, they said, no, it's cancer. And it's not just cancer, but it's, it's spread into the lymph nodes surrounding it as well. So, um Further testing showed it to be a particularly hard-to-treat type of cancer. Um, It's uh, very aggressive, and it doesn't have, uh, it's not estrogen hormone receptive, so it's a little harder to treat and a lot more aggressive. Uh, The doctor has given me a a cure rate of between 60 and 70%, so not as high as I would have liked, but... But that's what it is, and that's where we've been going through dealing with that.
0: Yeah, and, and so you've started this week. You've started the treatment. What does that look like over the next weeks, months, year?
1: So I've got, I've got eight weeks of a really um, harsh chemo combination, um, followed by 12 more weeks of a slightly less harsh com- combo of uh, chemo meds. And then surgery uh, will be a d- double mastectomy, followed by radiation, and then hopefully reconstruction at that point. So. Wow. So yeah. the next year is going to be a bit of a journey for us, but we're just uh, taking it one day at a time and just keeping our focus on what's really important. Yeah.
0: Um, Uh, And and I want to pause right now and just say, uh, Cornwall Church, um, many of you have been praying for Chris and Katie. I would ask that you would continue um, because it is going to be uh, quite a journey. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. We just got done looking at this final verse in Psalm 23 where David concludes and he says, you know, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He has kind of these, this double perspective. One is of his life on his days here on this earth, and the eternal perspective of after his days on this earth are over. And uh, a week or two ago when we were talking, you guys shared uh, some of your perspective, and it was such an encouragement to me. Would you, would you share that with us?
2: Well, sure. You know, For me, you know, I keep being asked, well, you know, what's this? Or, you know, how are you feeling about that? How are you really doing or whatnot? And the reality is, is we haven't had a freak out moment. We haven't had a, oh my goodness, you know, she's going to die. There's this, there's that. Well, last time I checked, Bob, nobody gets out of this world alive, right? So (laughs) we're all going to die. And it's just at some point, you know, when is that? And when you're talking about somebody as young and as active and just, so full of life as Katie, when you think about the, the the potential that that might happen sooner than you'd like, then people are like, "Oh my goodness!" Right? So the reality for me is is though whether I have months with her or decades with her, the result is the same. She wins. Mm-hmm you know she wins and we're
1: very competitive we're very
2: competitive (laughs) in that aspect you know and I told her I said and that you know the eternal perspective is she wins but when she talks about being competitive is that you know I'm when we play cards anything like that it's like who's going to win I'm older I'm fatter I'm Mm -hmm. out of shape And, you know, it's always, always been kind of assumed that, you know, she's going to marry me instead of the the other way around. So she doesn't get to win. I told her she doesn't get to win this one. But the eternal perspective in that, Bob, is, is if you truly embrace the gospel message, if you truly embrace that this life is temporary, this life is just a piece of a much bigger puzzle, then there's an incredible freedom Uh, that that comes with that. There's an incredible peace. Uh, You know, the Bible talks about a peace that passes understanding. And with that, you can walk knowing that there is so much more than we see. So much, there is a Jesus that is there waiting with open arms to welcome us into a place that's more beautiful than we could ever imagine. We get to hang out and worship in ways that we have never, ever experienced before, even in our best worships there, worships at, at Cornwall, it just can't hold a candle to what's there. So if you look at it with that perspective, you take the emotion of, I'm getting ready to, you know, I, I might have the potential of losing my wife out of the picture for a moment. She's not lost. And none of us are who believe in Jesus. And that's that's what I... I love about that, and, and, and what I love also about your message last week is it's not that, you know, He go, we go through the valley and he walks with us. We don't have to do this alone. Mm-hmm. And that's what's just so incredibly comforting and why we haven't had a freak out moment uh, on this. And, you know, maybe it will come, but once again, He's there to walk with us through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, yeah. And I
1: believe everybody has a journey in life. It's all different, and this just happens to be my journey. So however God chooses to use me, um, if he chooses to use me, I'm blessed. You know, I hope to be an encouragement through this. I hope to, um, you know, comfort in some way other people as I go through this. You know, I don't think he would put me through this and not use it for his glory in some way yeah absolutely yeah
0: well um chris and katie thank you so much for sharing this you know the, the truth and what i love about this psalm is that he leads us and his goodness follows us that he leads us he follows us he carries us our good shepherd uh, walks with us and will never leave us or forsake us and thank you for um embracing that and living in that reality uh, every single day
2: Thank, thank you, Bob. Much, Bob. Yeah. We so love. appreciate, our, our, on a, just another level, we so appreciate the church, the love, the support, and the kindness, not, not only our church here, but our church in Belize as well. We've done, mm-hmm. gotten so many phone calls, so much so much love, and we just want to say thank you. There's no proper words to say thank you to the church for that. Yeah. Well, we
0: love you too, and we'll continue to pray. All
2: right. well, we
1: always welcome prayers, so thank right.
0: you so much. Wow. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the promise for all of us. You know, the psalmist writes this, save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. That he carries us through life, he carries us through death, and he carries us forever. Now think about this with David. His whole life as he's looking back now, over 70, 80 years of life, he was a good, good shepherd when he was a little kid. And he was a pretty victorious warrior throughout his younger days. He was a powerful leader. He was a successful king he was not only talented, I would dare say he was a gifted musician and a brilliant songwriter. But in all of that, as he looks back, as great as all those accomplishments, achievements, accolades, acquisitions, all of that, he would say about this shepherd, the Lord who is my shepherd, there is nothing better than you. Nothing better than you. He would trade it all in for one day, even to just be on security at the house of God. But he knows that goodness and mercy, they're going to follow, pursue, protect. And he gets to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Nothing better than you.